This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Maureen McGrath hosting this program for you. According to the American Psychological Association, sexual abuse is unwanted sexual activity with perpetrators using force, making threats, or taking advantage of victims not able to give consent, like children. Most victims and perpetrators know each other. Immediate reactions to sexual abuse include shock, fear, or disbelief. Long-term symptoms include anxiety, fear, or post-traumatic stress disorder. While efforts to treat sex offenders remain unpromising, psychological interventions for survivors, especially group therapy, appears to be effective. Lisa is in the studio with me. She experienced sexual abuse as a child, and she is here to share her story on this Mother's Day. Thank you so much, Lisa, for coming into the studio. Oh, good evening, Maureen. You're welcome. Such an important subject. It affects so many people. I get many emails. I see people in my clinical practice, men and women, who've experienced this as a child, who have a lot of difficulty overcoming this. But you've changed history in your family. On this Mother's Day, I'd like to give you a special honor for doing that. Thank you very much. That is definitely my biggest success. I have to agree. My very first memory as a child is actually being sexually molested by a brother. Incredible. Horrible. How old were you? I was five years old, and this was a foster child, brother. My parents uh, fostered 35 children over 20 years. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So you're five years old, and how old was this brother? He was 10 years old. He was 10 years old. And how long did this go on? For about five years. Uh, oh, it's just horrific. And, you know, at five years old, you don't know better. Right? I mean, you're, you're a child. You are the ultimate victim. And, and not only do you not know better, I, I, I can't even understand why you don't know why you can't tell somebody. Why is it that you have to keep it their secret is beyond me. Even as an adult, I don't understand that decision-making process. Oftentimes the perpetrators tell you, they threaten you and tell you to keep it a secret or they'll harm you or harm somebody else in your family. Did that happen to you? Not that I can recall. All I can recall is just not being able to tell anybody. Right. And, um, and so you, you lived with this. And did you have some behaviors between those years that um, were unusual or aberrant or questioned by school teachers or... No, nothing whatsoever. I probably look like the model student because being at school was safety. I was always looking for safety and survival. Uh, I would, I was given a lot of freedom and I would be out of the house as much as possible. And I actually looked to other mothers and other friends for my safety. Because you didn't feel safe in your own home? That's exactly where I did not feel safe in my own home. And were you close with your own mother and father? Well, I'm adopted. I'd never really felt a loving feelings from my mother. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she did love me, but uh, she did not like me. And that was quite evident. I was, however, really well liked by my father. And I did feel loved by my father. Only in the later on, I do find out that uh, he also is an abuser. Oh, so he abused, sexually abused some of the other children in the home? Exactly. And he did admit that. Oh, and so there were 35 children coming through your home. I imagine they're not all there at once, but they're filtering in and out. And you really don't know who's coming in to your home um, when you, you, we think children and that all children are innocent, but obviously you had a 10 year old who uh, abused you. 
um, molested you. And, and I actually have to say these are allegations, I guess, because I mean, I'm not sure if, if that was proven. Did you actually take this to court? Well, what actually ended up happening was I never did say anything. And I did ask him why he was doing this to me. At some point, he did reveal that uh, he was practicing so that he could be better at sexual experiences. And I just looked him in the eye and said, never again, don't ever do that to me again, for that feeling of being used. But there was something else going on too. I knew that he was abusing another sister, an older sister, and I couldn't stop that either. And that continued. And uh, what ended up happening was my mother found a note with a pictorial under a bed. And one day I came home from school and she asked me, do you know anything about this? And I said, yes. And that's when I finally told my story for the very first time to somebody. And how old were you? Uh, 11 years old when I revealed it. Yes. To your mom. Yes. And And what was her response? Well, I think she was in shock, quite honestly. Um, how, how it was dealt with was she said, it's not your fault. But we never really delved into why was that brother abusing me? How did that start with him? Uh, it was just told to stop and I was never put uh, alone with him. He previously had babysat me and was a care provider. And that was really the times when he was abusing me. Wow. So you stood up, you found your voice, you told him to stop and he did. Yes. And, and are you insinuating or say, suggesting that, you know, did, was he abused um, as well, a child? Well, I is am that insinuating that. Yeah. I think this is a learned behavior, and I feel like I know where he learned that behavior. I don't know for sure, but... Right, versus um, evil within. In, in part, I, I, say, I suggest that because of the American Psychological Association states that they're you know, sex offenders treatment is unpromising. You know, it doesn't actually work. It's not effective. So, you know, oftentimes we can unlearn learned behavior. Oh, that's not correct. Okay. We can figure that out. Even as horrific as child sexual abuse is. Um, But if it is within somebody, if it is, you know, part of their makeup, part of their urges, part of their, um, anxieties, whatever, something neurophysiologically wrong with them. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. We don't know. We need more research into this. Now, you did tell your mom, and she did validate that for you, whereas a lot of moms would say, uh, don't ever say that. That didn't happen. Oftentimes I hear that from my patients, especially if it's the, her husband, for example. But you mm-hmm. got that validation. Did that help you? I'm sure it did. I'm mm-hmm. sure that contributed to my help. Uh, I would have liked it explored seeing that this was a foster child and this was their job to protect the foster children and to protect the children in their home. Right. I certainly would have liked some sort of investigation there. Right. But you were powerless as a child once again. Yes. So did you suffer with anxiety and other mental health issues as you grew? Oh, absolutely. I have diagnosed PTSD. And if you come upon me and it's quiet and I don't hear you, I will jump. Uh, I do have a lot of PTSD syndromes, yes. Still to this day? Still, yes. And But you've had therapy in, in order to process this and to deal with this. You're a very successful businesswoman, I know that. Yes. Um, and you're successful in many domains of your life or every domain of your life. <laughs> Thank um, you. And uh, tell me a little bit about how you uh, changed history. Basically, you stopped this in your family. Well, what I did do was uh, 
I, I talk about it. That's why I'm here this evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, the more I share the story, the less power it has over me, but the more powerful it becomes in empowering other women to share their stories that they're not alone. So that's number one. I've always been an open book that way. Uh, number two is I really believe that we need to get to the root of uh, what is causing, what caused this and, and, mm-hmm. and stop the secret behavior And unfortunately, this wasn't the only sexual abuse that was going on in my family at the time. Yeah, it sounds like it was, uh, you know, uh, very frequent and perhaps, dare we say, rampant. Were you afraid when you had children that this would happen to your children? I couldn't say that more than uh, what you've just brought up. So the age when my child turned five years old, Mm -hmm. it really uh, hit home. Uh, I don't want you to be abused. I I would uh, talk to, I have a son, and I would talk to him and tell him, only you wash your genitals. Mm -hmm. Nobody should ever touch you. No parents, no doctors or anything unless you invite it. That lasted for the entire period that I was abused, that entire five-year span. And then at that point, he was uh, pre-puberty, and we talked about it a good amount. And and stopping the cycle, for me, means that he didn't suffer any sexual abuse. It's fantastic, and he received a tremendous education. And I think that as parents, we need to bring this up. A lot of people assume this happens in other families. This would never <laughs> happen in my family, or this would never happen. But you know, uh, bringing there's there's risks. You know, bringing in male babysitters for little girls. I happen to think is a risk. Um, you know, so that you have to be very careful and protect your children and have those frank conversations with the children. I think that education is amazing and necessary for every child out there. We don't actually say that enough. I do want to mention as well that um, boys uh, and men can be sexually abused also. Oh, yes. And um, and it can almost be, I mean, I don't want to say even worse, but, you know, with this whole machoism and um, for men and, and um, that they you know, should have stopped it. They're supposed to be strong, you know, so it's, it's also very, uh, something that happens to boys as well. And that can be, um, extremely challenging because we don't think of that, but any child is at risk. Um, you know, and it's, we need to protect the children and educate people and educate others. We can't keep our heads in the sand about this because it does happen. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I also believe that, uh, my, my parents, uh, had, received some sexual abuse as well that they hadn't dealt with. So when this came up for them, it was something that was just too difficult for them to face. Of course. And and I think that's very common. Lisa, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your story. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on all of your success. Thank you. Especially stopping that cycle of abuse yes. with your own child. He's a very, very <laughs> lucky child to have been born to you, his mother. And happy Mother's Day to all of you out there. Today is one of those days. Brunches, flowers, perfect Facebook posts of families that just look amazing. The modern Mother's Day is often all about this and more. Who can look incredible on Instagram? But the truth is, for most people, the day is complicated and can be painful. Mother's Day was created in 1908 to honor the deceased mother of its founder, Anna Jarvis. And it was born out of love and loss. Although the day can be happy for many, it can be beautiful, it can be full of love and admiration and affection. There is no shame in admitting it may have sadness and unresolved feelings as well. Many women have suffered the death of their mother, a club nobody wants to join.
or the loss of a child or something that seems to be increasing all the time, family estrangement, people stopping talking to their parents because they got their feelings hurt, our little snowflake children today that we're raising. And I have seen so many patients in my clinical practice with that. But something that is particularly heartbreaking is those women who want to be moms more than anything else and have difficulty One in six couples will experience infertility. And Ginger is on the line to share her story about her plight with infertility, the expense, the emotional turmoil, the impact on the relationship, and more. Good evening, Ginger. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Tough day today. Yes, it's tough day. Yeah, for a lot of people, even those hearing the stories. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yes. uh, here I am crying again just at the thought of your story. Anyway. Oh, yeah, I, I was at the um, uh, card store getting cards yesterday, and I was having a moment with tears. Yeah. Get Mother's Day cards. Yes, you're a wonderful person. Thank you. You um, want to be a mom. Yes. And you are one of the many women out there who is suffering, really, with infertility issues. Mm-hmm. So tell me about some of your expectations about, you know, want to, you've always wanted to be a mom, as I understand. Yes, I have. Um, you know, I pictured myself with three kids and a husband and all of that. And then, um, you know, I worked hard on my career And of course, you know, I had fun in my 20s. And then, um, you know, I was also looking for the perfect husband, perfect guy to settle down with and um, pursued my career a lot. Um, I actually got a master's and, um, you know, uh, to make money to because, you know, it's so hard to make money in the lower mainland. And um, yeah, and then when the time was right, um, yeah, it just it's been taking a long time and it's been taking three years. And fertility treatments, IUIs, IVFs, and it's just it's it's just heartbreaking. And you met your perfect husband at at what age? Thirty it was about thirty four. And you decided thirty three or thirty four. Okay, yeah. and you decided to uh, start a family um, at at what age? Uh, we started a family just right after we got married. So, so I was just turning thirty five. Okay, and you were fully well expecting to get pregnant? Yeah, I thought it would um, be easy um, because actually my mom had four kids up until the age of 42, so I thought genetically I would be fine. Right, and and also we as women are taught so often to avoid pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So we yes, think it's going to birth control. Yes. Right. So we think it's going to be super easy and for many women it's not. And mm-hmm. so how many how long did you try to have a baby before you thought, hey, I should investigate this? Well, I kind of had, I I just had a hunch that maybe something was wrong. And I went to my doctor, I think after six months. And then they say that if you're 35 and under, you have to wait a year before they kind of do inspections. And I said, no, um, I, I want to get tests done now. And so you know, it, it's a big process because I got referred to a gynecologist and then they do all these tests and um, it just, you know, the, it, it came out to be unexplained infertility because all the tests were fine. 
Okay. And so you have no idea why? Yep, no idea. Which is frustrating on top of a very frustrating situation. Yes. Because at least if you knew the problem, you could have the answer. Yes, exactly. So you tried intrauterine insemination, IUI? Yep. So then we were, um, we got to to go to the fertility clinic. And so they do even more tests. And then they say, um, well, we'll try IUIs. So you do three IUIs. And and then they say, okay, we'll try in vitro. And I just for the listeners, I want to let them yeah. know that intrauterine insemination is, is a fertility treatment that involves placing the sperm of your husband inside of your uterus to facilitate fertilization. And mm-hmm, yeah. the goal of IUI is to increase the number of sperm that reach the fallopian, fallopian tubes and subsequently increase the chance of fertilization and, and having a pregnancy. Yes. And you're given a little bit of hormones, so you have a few more eggs that develop inside of you so that there's an increased chance. Right. And then you went on to in vitro. Yeah. And so they give you lots of hormones and you're doing injections. So you're giving yourself injections. And so that's a, that's a quite a, it's a challenge, right? That you have to overcome. And um, hormones, which definitely make you a little bit crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then um, that didn't work. And, and just for the listeners as well, IVF or in, vi- in vitro fertilization is um, you extract eggs or uh, extra- eggs are extracted from the woman, a uh, sperm sample is retrieved, and then there's manual combination of the egg and sperm in a, in a Petri dish, basically, and then the embryo is transferred to the uterus. Mm-hmm. And so you've had the IUI and you've had the in vitro and mm-hmm. all of this at a cost uh, and not not just to mention a financial cost, which we will mention first, mm-hmm. <laughs> but an emotional cost, relational cost, I imagine. So how expensive is this process? Um, so the IUIs are roughly between 600 and $1,000 each. And then IVF is roughly between eight and 15000 Usually it's about 15000 with medication. So you're into it for $20,000. Yeah. So as an accountant's daughter, I have to say, you have to earn $40,000 to pay $20,000 for something. That's just how my mind works. Mm-hmm. So that can be, you know, two thirds or, you know, it can be somebody's annual salary. It can be somebody's, you know, uh, half of somebody's salary. Um, it, they, some people may not even make $40,000 a year. It's a significant amount of money is my point. Yes. And it's a, an incredibly high emotional toll as well because you go through all of this and as you said even being on the hormones can you know alter things brain chemistry mm-hmm. um, and you still don't have a baby at the end of all this yes that's correct and and so how has that affected your your emotional health well it's really tough because um, I'm usually quite strong and um, it's just, you know, it's, it's made me, you know, I can, I, I, I'm crying a little bit more, let's just say, and I'm upset and I look at babies and I look at people with, um, kids and I think, why is that not me? And, and so it, it, it really, it's hard. It's really hard. Right. And also the whole process of, in, of fertility treatments can become quite clinical. Like now's the time we're supposed to have sex. And so it can actually maybe take some of the passion, the spontaneity out of it. Has this impacted your relationship at all, this uh, attempt to have a baby? 
Well, it's definitely made it harder. Um, we are very lucky. We have a very good relationship. Um, so um, it has made us stronger, but definitely it's, it's hard because, you know, I will get upset for no reason or I'll just be upset and it's hard. And then finally I have to say, well, this is why I'm upset. You know, Mother's Day is coming up and, you know, I, everyone else is getting flowers and things like that. And I really, really want to be a mother and I should be and I am inside. And, and will so, be. Um, yeah, thank you. And, um, yeah, so it's just kind of, it, it's really, you know, taking the time to be like, and I'm, I'm lucky that my husband is very understanding. And so it's, it's um, you know, it's just really a lot of communication and a lot of learning. And, and, and a lot of love. Yes, a lot of love. Yeah. Yes. And what are your next steps? What are your next options? I mean, it's a lot of money to pay. Um, twenty thousand dollars, and in some of the provinces have fertility treatments covered, and we, you know, many don't. British Columbia, mm-hmm. I'm not sure about Alberta um, or Manitoba, but Quebec does. But so, yeah. what are what are options for uh, women who are at your point? Well, um, if they're at the same point as me, as um, um, I was told by my doctor that my eggs are not good quality. And so the next step for me would be donor eggs. So then um, we would find, uh, so in case in Canada, um, it is illegal to um, pay for, to have donor eggs. So there's no donor banks here. In the States, there are donor banks. And so that um, you would pay a really hefty price and you could get someone else's eggs. And then what would be, spurt- uh, would be, um, fertilized by my husband's sperm and then inserted up in me and it would be my baby with just someone else's um, eggs. Okay. So that would be the next step. However, um, it is a very, very big price. It's between, it's 18,000 U.S. So it's roughly 24, 25,000 Canadian. As the Canadian dollar continues to drop. Um, So we're looking at $25,000, no Canadian dollars, no guarantees. No guarantee. That's for um, six to eight eggs, and there's no guarantee that they could fertilize or they couldn't. Um, and again, I've I've talked to um, colleagues and friends. Um, when someone in particular that uh, did the process a few times, not donor eggs but IVF, about forty thousand dollars, and uh, the, it has no baby and um, has loans. To pay for that, and it's hard enough to to buy a house in any you know, in Canada today, anywhere you live, it's yeah. expensive, um, and you know, it's it's extremely disappointing, I would imagine, and and extremely mm-hmm. difficult and heartbreaking. And I think we don't think about this enough and the expense of all of this. And it's hard to make that decision to say I'm going to plunk down twenty five thousand dollars and and go for it. You know, it's it's a bit of a Russian roulette, really. Mm-hmm. And there are um, there are places abroad that it is definitely cheaper. So that's one thing I'm looking at. Um, places in Europe um, that um, IVF with donor eggs is significantly cheaper. So that is one option. Right. Well, I'm happy that you have some options. I'm so grateful you shared your story. Um, I will continue to hope and pray for you because I think you'd be an amazing, I know you'll be an amazing mother. Thank you very much. And I feel it in my heart that you will be a mother. Thank you. You might need to win the lottery first. No, I'm just kidding. And I hope you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
But, crossed, yeah. yeah, some of these days are tough, but you know what? It's mm-hmm. I'm grateful to people like you who'll share because there's a lot of people out there suffering, and I'm sure your story will help many others. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Ginger. Yes, you're welcome. I wish you all the best of luck. Let's start out this little segment with a caller. I've got Ryan from Vancouver, British Columbia, on the line. Hello, Ryan. Hi. Uh, I just wanted to say I'm I'm a donor conceived person myself. Are you? Um, so, yeah, your previous segment uh, speaks to me, I guess. I, I would just it suggest as good advice for anyone looking for a donor, whether it's a sperm donor or an egg donor, is to try to find a bank that allows some kind of information and potentially contact with the donor. I um, so and, and with fellow siblings, I know of I, I found out when I was a kid, but old, but my doctor burned the records. So there was no means for me to do that except for with DNA testing. Um, with DNA testing, I've found my donor. I've found 16 siblings. Most of the, most of my siblings aren't that interested in meeting the donor, but they are interested in knowing who they are and knowing who he is. Right. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would just caution. It doesn't take away from my relationship with my dad, though. My dad's the man who raised me. I have one father, and that's him. Um, I have a donor as well, though, and that's part of who I am. So just oh. I would be aware of that kind of issue that people are going to want to understand where they came from and don't hide that their donor conceived. The worst is finding out by accident through a DNA test that's happened to a couple of my siblings. Um, finding out just, yeah, by accident later in life, it's not ideal. I, I've known since I was three, it's just a normal thing to me. Right. And, and DNA tests are getting so common, they're going to find out anyways. Exactly. Ryan, thank you so much. That's so nice of you to call and share that information. I really appreciate it. Okay, so once you have the marriage and the kids and all's fabulous and then it's not because your partner decides to tell you that they have cheated on you. Research suggests that the average American lies one to two times a day. Some can't make it 10 minutes without lying. And about 20% of married men and 13% of married women have cheated, according to the Institute for Family Studies. My next guest, Dean K. Severson, who is the curator of CheatingSupport.com, may have a little bit... Uh, different numbers on that. Uh, who's cheating and who's lying about it? Hello, Dean. Hello, Maureen. How are you? Fine, thanks. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me on. I'm, oh. a, I'm a huge fan. Oh, you're, you're very sweet. Thanks for joining me. I'm a huge fan. Um, so we're getting lots of surveys out there. This is a big betrayal, but you decided to set up CheatingSupport.com. Um, and so we have a couple of about a minute and a half to talk about it, and then I'm going to ask you to stay on over through the break to uh, dive a little deeper into all of the lies and betrayals. Um, but uh, why did you decide to start CheatingSupport.com, and what exactly is it? CheatingSupport.com is an infidelity support group online. It's a social networking site uh, similar to Facebook that um, where people communicate and it's in an, in an, in an anonymous setting where people can, can just uh, spill their guts and, and, and tell their darkest secrets and no one knows who they are. And this is the type of topic that fits perfect for social networking because, you know, how many people can go to their friends and family without the judgment? And, and, uh, um, and, and in this case, they don't have that. 
So it's a really spectacular site where people really do get the help and advice that they're looking for. That's fantastic. And you were not cheated on, but your friend was, and that's why you did start this site. But uh, I'm going to ask you, Dean, if you don't mind staying on the line so that uh, we can go to the news and then we'll come back. And I'd like you to share with me some of the things that you've learned and how your approach to or your attitude about cheating and the judgments that you may have placed on people who cheated have changed. Welcome back to the final stroke of the Sunday Night Health Show. If you have anything you want to talk to me about, you can email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com. Talking about cheating in a new survey of 441 people who admitted to infidelity with their partners, participants were asked how long it took to tell their significant other why they cheated and how their partner reacted once they found out. Just under half of those, 41 six percent admitted to cheating in a relationship one in four people said they cheated and admitted it to their partner but many people don't admit it to their partner and they can't but they can find solace in the online support group called cheatingsupport.com created by dean k severson who is my phone guest this evening thanks for staying on the line dean Absolutely, Maureen. Thanks for having me. So we talked a little bit briefly uh, about your thoughts about cheating prior to your setting up this site. And, and what was your um, impression? Well, you know, I did. I started this site when um, I was having lunch with a good friend who was married and going through a divorce because his wife had cheated on him. And um, um, he was, you know, talking about difficulty t- talking to his family other people, the judgments that came with it. And that's when a light bulb went off in my head and said, you know, I'm going to develop a social networking site just on this um, sensitive topic. And uh, it's, it's been a hit. It's, you know, um, it's, it's doing really well. We have um, a little bit over 6,000 members right now. It's still a young site, but it's growing, you know, very fast. And, and when it comes to t- statistics about how many people are cheating I, you know, I, I can't really say because we don't have happy married couples on our site. Most of the people coming in um, have already, have just recently found out that their spouse was cheating on them or, um, or they did the cheating also. You know, our site's not just for those that were cheated on. It's for everyone. Um, those, it's for married, divorced, separated, gay and straight. Uh, those that um, uh, were cheated on, but also for those that did the cheating and feel bad and are looking to uh, to, to get some help. We so, talked when we talked last mm-hmm. week. You mentioned that as many because I was at a conference this weekend, and um, a lot of people mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about infidelity, and and a lot of people assume that it's just men who are cheating. Um, but did you find in your site that equal amounts of men and women are on that site? You know. We have more females who sign up on the site. I don't think it's necessarily because um, um, that men cheat more uh, per se. It's maybe the uh, maybe women look for um, support uh, online a little bit more than men. I'm not quite sure that the re- the reason for that, but um, but you know we're about one third a male and um, and two thirds female. But the statistics of the people who come in are pretty equal of those that were cheated on and those that did the cheating. We have women who come in saying, I cheated on my spouse and 
and I, I feel bad. No, I'm not sure what to do. And then um, vice versa. It, you know, uh, but, you know, we also have um, um, gay uh, people that come in, uh, couples, and um, we have couples that, you know, sign this, sign up on the site. Um, so uh, it, we're, we're, this topic, I feel, just isn't, it's best when it's, um, when, when, when it's not being judged in a real harsh, critical uh, arena. Um, I, I think a lot of the response that I receive is that people are appreciative that it's a non-judgmental um, venue. But and when yeah. we spoke, you said you felt that um, prior to having this site and hearing people's stories, that mm-hmm. you and many people judge the cheater and they say, oh, my gosh, what a louse or what a horrible mother or, or name call um, somebody who has cheated when they find that out. But what they don't know or what they perhaps don't know is the story behind the cheating that their story behind the cheating. Absolutely. That's what's so fascinating. When I started the site, I had the common perspective of, Oh man, that person's a dog. You know, they cheated on their spouse or, you know, you just see that end result and aftermath. But what led up to it is so incredible and amazing. It's just the, the stories that I read on the site um, you know, this anyone can join the site. It's absolutely free. Um, CheatingSupport.com is, um, is is not just for people going through infidelity. It's also for people who might have some good advice who can help out. Um, you know, uh, there's no cost to join. So, you know, by all means, join the site. Um, um, offer your honest opinions. And when you read the stories, what you find is... Th- there, there's tells in the story where someone says, you know, I, I wasn't um, treating my, uh, my wife that good, and uh, I wasn't, you know, there for her, and she had asked me for years on end for me to change my ways, and I didn't, and now she's cheated on me, and I'm heartbroken. You know, right. And, you know, a lot I, of I read this and it's in and, and it starts and, and it opened my eyes to people are not looking necessarily to, there's obviously some people who are, can't control their um, emotions or they got married for the wrong reasons, but the vast majority of good people uh, who cheated um, um, were just trying to fill a void on, on their end that their spouse wasn't giving them. And, and that's what I've, that's what surprised me in learning about some of the stories. And and one thing I think um, a lot of people come to me and they'll say they've cheated and should they tell their wife? It, you know, it could be a one-off thing or it could be a, a longer term or, or should they tell their husband? And, and according mm-hmm. to the survey that I was referring to... I, I read that all the time. I read that all the time. Yeah. Um, guilt is the number one driving factor for people to um, tell their spouse that they have cheated. Um, in this study, less than half cited this as the motivating reason for admitting their cheating, but 40% said they weren't happy and needed to let their partners know. It could have been a bit of a wake-up call 
or thought their partner had the right to know. So there's some ethical basis there. Uh, Men were more likely to admit to cheating over feelings of guilt than women who tended to Mm. admit it in the event that they were not happy with the relationship. So that's very interesting as well. And I've certainly had a lot of men come into my practice and be like, oh my gosh, this happened. And it's because of this. They know why, but they didn't want it to go down that pathway, but it did. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, um, you know, I'm not an expert like yourself, so I, I'm not. I'm in no position to give opinion. Um, I have um, a non-clinical opinion on every matter, like everyone else does out there. Um, but that is what I read. It's 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 fascinating. Um, um, people come in and they're looking for advice. Should I tell my spouse? A lot of people are, um, are are hurting, and I do see that in the men. The the men really do want to share a lot more of the um uh the um the infidelity um i think maybe a little bit more than the women yeah i i do see trends in that way they do um, and often it makes them feel better makes them feel better but it makes the wife Boy, feel horrific right you know, so you got to really I can't imagine I, and this is my non-clinical view I, I just can't imagine um uh you know hurting your your uh the person you know, you're with unless you do want to get out of the relationship, I would guess. I, I, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Something that your support, which is really an infidelity support group online, cheatingsupport.com, you also mm-hmm. offer help. You offer therapists, lawyers, private investigators, coaches. You offer me. No, <laughs> You also offer yes. infidelity articles. Well, you- I'll be writing um, some articles and pu- putting them on your site. Um, yes. So yes. you, you yes. offer some solutions for people. You know, I get messages on the site, people looking for professional help. You know, it's it's great to get support from peers, but at the end of the day, people want um, professional advice. And they ask me, where can I go? Um, this is a, um, a worldwide website, so worldwide web, right? So, you know, we have people, um, many in Canada, United States, uh, even Europe and Australia, um, looking for um, uh, therapists and um, um, lawyers. We have private investigators. Many come into some, you know, into the site where they don't have um, enough proof. They want to confront their spouse. They know something's going on. They've been caught in the past, but they want more. And so, so I get messages about that. And so, I recently uh, created these sections. Um, to offer additional support. Yeah, which is which is fantastic. I think this is a, a fantastic uh, online support group. Uh, as you said to me uh, last week, it's the last mm-hmm. taboo. <laughs> um, I, that's my opinion. It's yeah. the last taboo. People are, you know, al- alcoholism used to be such a taboo, a hidden secret in the family. It's infidelity now. You know, this is the secret that everyone's dealing with, but people are... You know, um, um, they keep it, it, you know, behind closed doors. And that's the pain that I read. Uh, you know, it's just I have nowhere to go. And right. So they, 
Yeah. But, but they do now. They can go to cheatingsupport.com. That's fantastic. And, yeah, because they and, can't and, go yeah. to their families because they, if they end up staying, and that's the new shame, people who stay with cheating spouses. And and that's more common than not these days, in part because of how expensive mm-hmm. things are and, you know, com- mm-hmm. uh, country clubs and in-laws and children and, and you know, people don't want to cut their finances in half because they've already done that before. Um, so they stay for a I number of that. reasons. But it's a, yeah, but it's a big that, shame yeah. staying with a cheating spouse. So if you tell your family and then decide to stay with your spouse, they may never look at that spouse uh, with quite the same rose-colored glasses <laughs> as they did you know, before. And, and the people who are judging them the harshest, they themselves have their own secrets that, you know, I'm sure uh, they, they weren't, uh, they, they had their own relationship troubles. Absolutely. You know, I, so We project um, quite commonly. Well, mm. Dean K. Severson, Severson this yeah. is a fantastic um, online support group that you have created for people who have suffered the betrayal of infidelity. It's called CheatingSupport.com, your infidelity support group online. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for having me, Maureen. I really appreciate um, you allowing me to share this with your audience and uh, and. You know you're um, you're on the side as well, so I, you're going to continue helping uh, so many people, and I'm a huge fan. So thank you very much. Well, that's very, it. very, very generous of you to say. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app. Tune in Amazon Alexa HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial 980 CKNW.